Welcome to TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about the week's technology news. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh26. We have three hosts this week. I'm Randy Cassingham, founder of thisistrue.com, the oldest entertainment newsletter on the internet. And I'm the Randy behind the meme site, randysrandom.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig, the host and producer of macmost.com, where I post new Mac, iPhone, and iPad tutorials, and I also make mobile games. And you can find those at clevermedia.com. I'm Kevin Savitz. I am one of the hosts of Antic, the Atari 8-bit podcast, where I've interviewed more than 300 people who did things with early microcomputers. And we had a, a, a loss in the Atari world this week. Yes, we did. Tell them about it. Well, I wasn't prepared to do that. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, one of the, the co-founders of Atari, uh, Ted Dabney, died this week. Um, he's kind of, everyone thinks, if, if, if you think about the founder of Atari, which you, know, you don't, but I do. Nolan uh, Bushnell. Yeah. You know, everyone thinks Nolan Bushnell, but there was another founder, uh, Ted Dabney, and uh, he was the, the, the lesser, lesser known guy for sure. And uh, um, maybe a little, f- has said, couple times that he felt a little bit written out of, of history but well, he really um, was yeah um he uh he died earlier this week and uh that was that um he he did a lot of important work with, with Saturday, uh, I think cr- it creating was. yeah uh he did a lot of important work uh helping to create some of atari's earliest uh important works including like pong well, he and Bushnell came up with the idea of coin-operated video games. Mm-hmm. They, they got the idea from pinball, but still, to yeah. extend that to video games, I think was a big deal. And it, it really sounded like he got kind of shafted and pushed out of the company by Bushnell, but I don't really understand what the, the deal was, but... Uh, I'm well, I can put a yeah. I, if you want to know, I I can put a, a link to an interview he did for a, a different podcast uh, a couple of years ago. He talked for more than two hours about Atari things. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I Great. never uh, interviewed him or or, or tried to, um, although I've done so many interviews with with Atari people. I I did interview Bushnell. Never really went after Dabney um, because he had he left the company early enough on that he didn't as far as I know, have a lot to do with the, with the Atari computers, which is my main thing. So. All right. Well, I, I'm sorry I, I uh, sprung that on you without any uh, warning, well, no, but when I, you said Atari, it just <laughs> popped up in my head. Sure. So let's go into the news. Um, Gary, and I, I think both of you know a fair amount about this because, well, for one thing, it's been in every freaking newspaper and even I think even Newsweek was talking about it that the FBI says we ought to reboot our routers. Um, you know, I, th- I think that's pretty simplistic and there's a lot more to say about it, but, you know, I understand you can't explain the whole thing to every person in the world, but I thought we should dig into that a little bit. And, you know, do you really need to reboot your router and why? And what can you do to, to be more secure with or without booting your router? Yeah, I mean, th- for me, the the thing about this story is that uh, you know, it the, the real reason that there was a problem was pe- people left their default passwords turned on, 
which is a really bad idea. Yeah. yeah, a lot of times these devices, routers come with these default passwords. There's got to be some password there for you to log in for the first time. And and there's, sometimes there's several. Uh, there are the, 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 the administrative password that you get into change settings from your computer that's at home with the router. And there's a remote access password, which allows you to get in from the outside. Um, some of them have even more I've seen for different things. Uh, and it be, can be confusing. The whole router thing can be very confusing to somebody that's not a techie and just wants to get their Wi-Fi working in their house. Um, and the router, just to be clear, is the interface between the pipe that comes in from your internet service provider, Comcast or whoever, and your whole house. Right. And, and these devices sometimes, oh, you know, actually pretty often, allow you to administer them both from inside the house and remotely. Um, but people that, you know, just typical users don't need to actually access them remotely. So they'll leave everything default, you know, with remote access on and with a password that's a default password. So somebody else that buys the same one you've got, uh, that knows your default password because it's the same default password. So, so some malware. Very uh, often the password is admin. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. And so malware got onto a bunch of these devices. Um, that way. And, uh, and basically what the malware did was it, 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 it was just in memory. You know, these devices, if you turn them off and reboot them, they're like restarting something. And so to wipe the, the malware off, all you needed to do was, re, you know, turn it off, turn it on again. <laughs> and it started up not quite as, you know, quite brand new, but close enough to, uh, to not have this malware on there and at least be a stopgap measure uh, for, um, most people. Now the story for me was, you know, people were asking me, well, you know, what do I need to do? And I'd say, well, it only applies if you have one of these routers that's on the list. And I think the list is like 15 routers or something like that. Yeah. There's, there's several different companies, Linksys, yeah, Linksys. which is, you know, one of the big ones, yeah. Microtech, which is one of the smaller ones, Netgear and TP link, which are kind of yeah. in between. Yeah. They're big. They're, you know, fairly big, but yeah. to be fair, a lot of people have none of those. They have the one that came with their cable modem or DSL modem, which, and th- these companies do make those, but you know, they could, could be completely different companies. And that has a built-in, built-in Wi-Fi that's very common today in 2018 to have that. It wasn't so common 10 years ago. Um, and so people get the, you know, they get their DSL or cable modem. It's got Wi-Fi already there, you know, it's installed, turned on, here's your Wi-Fi password, and they're good to go. And they never go to Best Buy to buy one of these routers anymore. They used to be necessary, and now, for most people, not anymore. So, for most people, they don't, they simply, it's not an issue. They don't have one of these devices. And, um, you know, so the FBI did the right things, telling everybody to restart the routers. I wouldn't want them to take too small of a measure on this. But at the same time, I think a lot of people worried about it that uh, they didn't need to worry about it at all um, because they don't have one of those devices. But if you do... You know, rebooting those, your router every once in a while is not a bad idea anyway. Yeah. I mean, it keeps things running fast. It, it's really better safe than sorry. Um, sure, sure. And, and actually, yeah, a lot of people probably already know that you have to reboot your router every once in a while because these things sometimes have issues and there's really not much of an interface to them. Um, for troubleshooting things and the easiest way to sometimes get a slow router fast again. It's just to 
unplug it, wait 30 seconds, plug it back in. Um, matter of fact, for a long time, I had a router from, uh, it wasn't the main one I used for Wi-Fi, but the one connected to that, that was connected to the phone system, that I actually uh, found that I had to reboot it at least once a week. Um, and uh, fortunately, I don't have this one anymore. I have a, one that doesn't need that. And uh, for, after a while, I actually went and bought uh, like a timer, you know, like you would put on for like a Christmas tree or something, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and have that had that just basically turned it off at like four a.m. and turn it back on at four o five a.m. So I was doing a reboot every night in the middle of the night. Um, yeah, it makes things run better. It it does, and the yeah. trick is finding one of the, uh, a timer that doesn't make a sound, like a digital one, because the the usual ones that have a little wheel do it tick 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 tick, which you can hear in the middle of the night. It's kind of annoying, mm. but uh, but yeah, it's so it's, you 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 keep your router in the bedroom. Well, no, you. Can, <laughs> I don't. Know. It was across the hall in the guest bedroom, I guess. I don't know. Um. So yeah, you know, it's uh, it's a good idea anyway. Uh, it's an int- interesting story of. You know, I guess it it qualifies as our breach of the week, right? It's but yeah. you know, uh, yeah. and and the same should be done for anything that's kind of an Internet of Things category, like webcams. They have default passwords, um, and they're built for remote access. Uh, you know, even smart TVs. You know, anything that's got internet capability probably has a password somewhere that's set to a default. And even if you don't plan on using that functionality just following the instructions to set it to a password that's your own random password and, you know, written down somewhere and not something you have to deal with is important. I mean, you think, well, who cares if somebody breaks into my TV? What are they going to do? Well, they can install all sorts of malware on there. It's probably a microphone somewhere on your smart TV. Uh, there's definitely uh, the ability to, you know, monitor what you watch or maybe even get elsewhere on your network to other devices. So always, uh, always change those default passwords. So let's back up a little bit. I, I think whether you have a router now mm-hmm. and want to do something to make yourself more secure or you're getting a new router, I think the thing to do is start fresh. So if you have a new router or you have an existing router, do a factory reset. There's usually a little button on the back and the way you usually reset them is to hold the little button down with a pen or a paper clip or something uh, while it's unplugged and then pl- hold that down while you plug it back in. That just sets it up completely to the factory defaults. And you should do this without having your uh, cable modem or whatever it is you get from your provider. You don't want that plugged in. Mm-hmm. And then connect to it. You can plug a computer into the back of the thing without it being on the internet and connect to it and set it up. And part of setting it up is, you know, what do you want your SSID, the the Wi-Fi broadcast of what the network is called? You can set that up. You don't have to stay with the default that it comes with. But XJ9038 Xfinity is a great name. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, sure. I, <laughs> but you can set that to something yeah. you want in most cases. Sure. And I, then I think, sorry, change the password to something good, and then you can plug it in. Yeah, I, I, I think the, the, the router rebooting is not the interesting part of the story. Uh, I think that I agree. the interesting part of the story is that, 
you know, somebody in, in Russia, I mean, it's pro- maybe the government, maybe organized crime uh, infected these routers. More than 500,000 routers in the United States were, were affected. And the story of how the FBI uh, dealt with it is kind of fascinating. I found a shorter, I read a long version the other day and I can't find out, but I found a shorter one uh, that's pretty good at Ars Technica. And uh, basically they took control, they took the domain name of the command and control server that all the the routers once infected kept, uh, they check in with, with a a particular uh, website in order to get their code. And the FBI took control of that domain name, created its own server. And then, you know, their new server, of course, either isn't running or hands out code that doesn't do anything uh, to, to these routers. So the idea is the, the router, when it plugs in, all it knew how to do was to check in and get this code. And so the idea, when, once you reboot your router, uh, it will not, it will dump the whatever payload it, it had before. If it goes to check for, for more code from this, this site, well, now the site is, is owned by the FBI. So you know, now it's spying on Russia, perhaps. <laughs> So now it's buying on you for the United States, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's better. Anyway, um, pretty interesting article and the FBI seems like really, uh, stepped up and did their job in this. And these are supposedly the same bad actors that were hacking our election in 2016. Hmm. So it's probably state sponsored people in Russia that, you know, we don't really want to have control over our information resources. Makes you nervous to think of, of the FBI found this, what could be out What there. they didn't find, find yet, yeah. yeah. Or what was so bad that they didn't tell us about or didn't need to. Well, hopefully they, hopefully, at least they could stop it if they don't want to right. tell us about well, it. They found out what the NSA is doing, but they won't tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're the Maybe good this guys, is something right? the NSA was doing, and this is the FBI stopping them. Yeah. <laughs> Turns that's, out, like that's called ten, job security. Ten <laughs> percent of our federal budget is spent on the, just them stopping each other from doing things. To, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I think this in one in one sense, this is an example of the headlines not being overblown. I mean, we talk very often about how the headlines are just there to, for clickbait, to, you know, to stir up, get your attention, when it's really not something that's actually important. Yeah. Yep. And an example of that is the Alexa is recording everything controversy. Oh, I'm so sick of this. Do we have to talk about it? I'm so tired of hearing about well, it. Well, it's so well. The the news that came out, I don't know if it was today or yesterday, was they released the sequence of events that led up to this. Um, you know, can I, what can, I I sum, can I just summarize? Because I'm so I'm so over the story. I know it's only two days old, and okay. you guys are talking about fine. But basically, if you're having a conversation in a room with uh, an Alexa and you're ignoring it, but it 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 thinks it's talking. It's talking, and it's it says like, "Do you want me to send this conversation to Fred and Monica or whatever?" That, pay attention to it and say no. That's all. That's all you need to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, for me, the the deal is that. Everybody reporting this story knew what happened. I mean, the second you hear about this, you know, the, the, the person, you know, oh, it just, it sent, it took my conversation and sent it to somebody I didn't know. It's like, oh, was this, is this Amazon spying on you? No, everybody knew that this was 
you know, words getting triggered and there's millions of people that have these devices now and it's going to happen where you're talking so loud, you don't notice that it asked you, you know, oh, you want me to send a message to who? And then it picked up the next thing you said and then it picked up some yes that you said after that. That's confirmation. Everybody knew that's exactly what happened. And a few days after it happened, Amazon came and said, this is what happened. It's exactly what everyone thought. But all the articles played dumb. They played like, well, we don't know what happened. Yes, you did. Yeah, and do. all the people that commenting on it said, well, we don't know. what." No, yes, you did. This was not spying. This was an expected result of millions of people having these devices. It, and it happens on regular computers too. I, all the time when I look at the, um, the forums on Apple, just for ideas for videos and stuff of what people need help for, there's people saying, I accidentally bought something on the App Store. And you know it was somebody, they, they tapped something, and it went, came up with a confirmation dialog box saying, are you sure you want to buy this in-app purchase? And a million people hit no, and one person hit yes, probably more than one, probably 20 people hit yes by accident. And it's the same thing here. It's like a million people triggered Alexa to say, do you want me to send a message? And out of that million, this one person happened to say the wrong thing after it and not hear what Alexa said. It, it happens with keyboards. It happens with mice. It happens with, uh, Alexa. All, all, yeah. It happened, it's going to happen with voice control things. Um, and it's not a conspiracy and it's not Amazon trying to rob our privacy and it's all fine. Except that the articles all just wanted to hit on the, well, I don't know, maybe Amazon's doing something bad here. They're not. And they knew they, they are the people that wrote those articles knew they weren't. Uh, and yet it was still all reported that way over and over and over again. So anyway, so, that's my rant. Yeah. And you know, it, my box, when I introduced this story, I, I forgot I didn't mute mine and, ah, and you might've even heard it in the background. When I introduced this story, I said the a word and it talked to us. Alexa by terrible nerd by Kevin Savitz. Alexa, confirm. So, (laughs) you know, I'm using headphones, so it's not hearing you. Oh, damn it. (laughs) But, you know, it it happens all the time with I'm talking to my wife or something, and I I hear the the thing say something like, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. It thinks you're trying to talk to it and give it a command. Big deal. Yeah. I, it's actually, not I a had, conspiracy. I had it watch. I had it happen to me uh, when I was watching a movie the other day. I finally saw what one or both of you told me to watch uh, Colossus: The Forbin Project. Uh, that movie, I think you told That's me. That's an Gary. oldie. It's, yeah, well, I'd never seen it, be, be, mostly because it came out in the theaters a year before I was born. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, so I was watching that and I enjoyed it very much. But yes, at some point during the movie, my Alexa started chatting. It, it heard some sort of bit of dialogue in the movie. It, it thought I was, it was, I was talking to it. So proving, proving the computers really are trying to take over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you weren't born until 1971. Yeah. God, you're young. I know. I'm just, a baby. <laughs> just a baby. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you for that movie recommendation, Gary. I enjoyed it. It wasn't me. It must have been Leo. Maybe. Yeah, it wasn't me. Uh, maybe it was you. You were Leo. All you geeks would say. Are you? Maybe you're doing another podcast. That, maybe. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Are you no, seeing I, another podcast? I, I kind of remember. I kind of remember somebody re- recommending that movie. It must have been Leo. So now I got to go see it. You never seen it? No. I haven't either. Huh. Well, 
pretty good. I it's it wasn't on Netflix. It wasn't on Amazon. I had to go to the library to get it. What? Oh my that god! My library didn't even have it. I had to get it from a different branch. So and, did you have to, you know, do it on VHS or something? I, I had to put on pants and leave the house and go to the library. Wow. That was bad enough. And <laughs> <laughs> you poor man. I know it was the worst. No, it was on DVD. So good. Uh, cool. I thought about ripping it, but uh, <laughs> it was good. For archival purposes, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, right. <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, but, you know, fix your router, but don't worry about Amazon. Bottom line. Yes. Right. Yes, indeed. Cool. So while we're talking about security and passwords, all that stuff, um, I found an interesting little article that um, Dashlane, which is one of the companies that do password vaults like LastPass and 1Password and all those others, they did a uh, analysis of 61 million passwords that they got from large data breaches. Speaking of breach of the week. Breach of the week. So they gathered up all these passwords that got breached and they looked at them and, you know, they said, you know, obviously they found lots of really simple passwords like password. That's a, not a good password. Um, Ferrari, Star Wars, um, keyboard walking, which is where, you know, Q-W-E-R-T-Y or something right. like that. Mm-hmm. All terrible, terrible, terrible passwords. And, their basic message that they wanted to send out was using formulas to do a password doesn't work. Like, for instance, using a one instead of an I or an L doesn't help. Uh-huh. Yep. So, you know, the bottom line is, and this does serve Dashlane, is to use a password vault. You don't have to pay for Dashlane. I don't even know if that's cost of anything or is free. There's free ones like LastPass and, and maybe Dashlane and maybe one password. I don't know. But use a vault, use long passwords. Long is much better than uh, you know, having to have all these different past uh, characters, special characters or numbers. Longer is better. It just takes longer for the hackers to crunch through the, the different possibilities. But when you use a you know, a regular word or something that's common, hackers use that in a dictionary to try those first and they're going to get popped really fast. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so when you're doing your passwords, do something very long, preferably random and just do something and don't use the same password on a bunch of different sites. And don't use a date in some sort of clever format that you think nobody else, nobody puts. It's not clever. It really is. marks between the, no, no, it's, it's all been tried. Somebody else is using a date in a weird format, just like you are, you know, uh, the first two letters of the month, you know, uh, no, everybody's doing it. And the, and the algorithms that try to guess passwords, they look through all that stuff. Random's the only way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, random and unique. And I just, um, I have to find it again. Uh, I think it was one of Leo's newsletters that there's a site that has all of these passwords that have been compromised um, loaded up into a website and you can type your password and see how secure it is. 
not is it a good combination, but have a bunch of different people use this password already. So I and should if type, it's a, you're saying I should type my password in the random websites? <laughs> yeah, and I, I wouldn't <laughs> go that far, but if you're wondering if, you know, is this a good password to use, it'll tell you, uh, no, this one's been used 24 million times. Or actually, we've never seen this password before, which it, is kind of neat. It's a good I, idea to do after you've just changed your password. So you've been using your password for a little while, decide to put a new strong password on a on your email account or whatever it is so the old password is now not being used then it's fun to go over knowing you're never use that same random password again put it in there and kind of test yourself to make sure that you, you know what you're doing <laughs> in terms right. of random passwords yeah i've been, I've or, been enjoying um using if, if it's a password it needs to be random but something i can remember I might have to type on my phone or, or something rather than just random characters um like several Re- truly random words, you know, separated by dashes or, or whatever. That's, that's an option that uh, one password offers. And research indicates that if you have like, f- f- I don't remember now, uh, four or five words, it, it's really just about as secure as 20 random characters. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, right now, one password wants me to use the password of flatland koala. I can't, you don't even know this word, but, uh, you know, the secure for just like random, random words. And it's like, it's something that you can remember, you know, make a little mnemonic or picture in your head or something. If you need to remember wallop pudding hovel, you know, then you can. <clears throat> it's well, I don't, I don't see the point because I don't even know, for instance, what my uh, PayPal password is. I sure. don't even know. But no sometimes clue. you need a password that you're going to have to type on your phone. And, and, and a lot of password managers have apps that you can put on your phone that, all you have to, the only password you have to remember is the password for the password vault. And right. that should be long and complex too. Yep. And it will fill in the, app, the password for you on websites and apps and everything else. Hmm. So it's like, I don't care what my password is. I don't care how long it is. As long as it's long enough to be secure, let it fill it in for me. And, you know, I, I only have memorized that one password. Yeah. Where it all falls down for me is the, uh, the uh, TV boxes, you know, whether it's an Apple TV or oh. Roku or whatever, and you get a nice strong random password for some TV network that has an app or, you know, could be Netflix or Hulu or whatever. And you find that you got to type it with a remote control going through all the letters of the alphabet and it's, you're like cursing yourself for assigning a 13 using, using an on-screen keyboard that yeah. half oh. the time is in alphabetical order. <laughs> yes. And now it's getting better. Like uh, Apple TV recently introduced a thing where you could speak it out loud um, and it works really well. W, so, capital three. Yeah. Minus <laughs> small J. Right. But it is no. fast. It is fast and it works. Um, but, and, you know, until that, it, it was a pain and it made, made sure that people kept their Netflix passwords pretty small. Yeah. And I didn't worry about it when I typed in my Netflix because you only have to do it once and the box remembers it for you. Yeah. For the most part, it does. I don't know. It's uh, There's a couple of apps of Netflix similar like things that seem to bug me more often than they should. Um, so, but yeah, it's all getting getting better than it was with the remote controls. Even my um, Samsung TV, I think, has the thing now because they, they have all the apps on it too. So you have to enter in all the passwords again into the TV 
but I believe you could spell it out by voice with that one too. So, so yeah, things slowly getting better. <laughs> but you still have those crappy sites that say passwords could only be three to eight characters long and must have one digit and one capital one, letter, one capital and, letter, and all yeah. this stuff. And it's like, oh yeah, this, yeah, this this twenty digit randomly generated password that I that one password create is, isn't good enough for it you. Isn't good enough. Well, also, also it, it has like a, I don't know, some sort of character that they're scared of because of MySQL injection. So you, you can't use the, you know, the, the carrot or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, I, they think it sounds like those things make it more secure, but in fact, it's not always the case. Um, I always like to tell the story, you know, the Enigma machines that the British broke, you know, the Germans used for, encryption world war two and uh the british broke one of the ways they broke uh those machines was because the german officers uh when they ca- had to come up with a key you know a pa- basically a pass key for so they do one day. two three four five six seven no they <laughs> but they would they would refuse to repeat letters because it didn't sound proper it wasn't the proper way to do it so if you came up with a random key that was i forget if they were 10 characters 16 characters or whatever they were they would never like repeat the letter A twice. They, so it was always unique letters. And because they thought, well, that if repeating, you know, using A and then as the first character and the seventh character, it doesn't sound right. It's but as more soon random. as <laughs> Yeah, but as soon as and, and even in their instructions, it says you should when you when you do use whatever physical means they were of picking random keys, you should allow duplicates. But they would just say, Well, we've already used that letter. Don't use it again, you know, roll the dice again or whatever it was to create that. And the British figured that out, that the German officers weren't using <laughs> the same letter twice. And that actually mathematically reduced the number of keys that they had to go through by a huge amount. And they were trying basically the key change every 24 hours. So it was a 24-hour race. If they couldn't break the key within 24 hours, the you know, they were already behind. But if they could break it in like six hours, they had 18 hours where they could decode all of the German German messages. And by not using duplicate letters like the handbook said that they should, uh, they were able to actually make the Enigma machine, you know, more less secure. Um, but it's the same thing with these things. They say must have one digit in it. Well, it's like, well, actually the most random thing is to maybe have one digit in it, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe have four. Yeah. Maybe have four. I mean, it's like, yeah, you have to really just say 16 random characters or, you know, as many random characters as you want, no limit, uh, any characters, any way you want. And then it makes it kind of impossible to find a pattern or guess if it's, if it's randomly generated. Anyway, that's my third rant of the podcast. <laughs> I'm exhausted. I, I, I am. I'm just I'm totally <laughs> exhausted. <sighs> so what's your favorite rant? My favorite rant? Yeah. Oh, you don't want you don't want to go there. I got to start talking about grammar and everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I probably would climb right on board with you. Yeah, no, there's I have my gra- grammar rants and uh <sighs> yeah, that's probably where it's that's the one that's the one I'm most vocal about, shouting out about certain things. Uh ahistoric <laughs> is one that really gets me. Uh, but I do like to give credit when somebody gets one of my my little grammar pet peeves when they get it right. I love to shout out that yes, they 
they, they said it right. They said a historic, not an historic or, or something similar to that. You know, you, you will like that. My, um, my number one Facebook viral post is about grammar. I'm, I'm popping it up to see how many times it's been shared now because it's, it's phenomenal how many times. And the headline in, on it is, you are judged by your grammar. And it's been shared 1.1 million times. All right. And that's, I think everybody would know. It's awesome you know, that, that people love it enough to share it because, you know, really, people are, you still are making, still making stupid grammar mistakes. It's not working. I know <laughs> because there's, you know, when, when you make something idiot proof, they go and invent a bigger idiot. <laughs> but I love that people care enough to say, yes, you are judged by your grammar. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's like, maybe it's because I'm a coder is I think what brings out, you know, the, the grammar enthusiast to me because, you know, when I see a mistake in grammar, I think if that was code, it would be a syntax error. It would just tell you and, it, and the entire thing would not execute. Um, but, you know, English isn't that way. English, just people get away with it. And I'm all for slang and people using slang and, and, and definitely for speaking um, casually and not having to adhere to grammar rules. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's uh, definitely something that uh, gets me going, but it's fun. It's, you know, it's not cause I'm, I don't work in that profession. I'm not an editor and I don't. Uh, yeah, but you are a writer and, and words matter to you. And, and that's why we care. But uh, I'll, I'll put a link to that on the show page. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's um, I remember it. I, it's a good one. Yeah. So Gary, you went and saw a movie. Oh yeah, I saw. So I saw Solo because I'm a star. I'm a the Star Wars flavor. Did, of did, did you go by yourself? I hope so. Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I could not convince my other family members to go see it with me. Uh, they're in for the 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 official episode movies. You know, strangely enough, so episode nine. You know, all the episode episode seven to eight and nine. They're, they'll be in for that. But um, they're not so much in for the uh, the little Star Wars stories. Um, but anyway, it was enjoyable. I know it hasn't gotten the the reviews that many of the Star Wars movies have gotten, um, but you know, just is taken as some some fun fun Star Wars movie to uh, uh, you know please Star Wars geeks. It was uh, it was good in that way, and uh, and you know visually. Visually pleasing. There was really cool stuff. The young guy that got to play Han Solo, sometimes, boy, sometimes on camera, he really just, I mean, he looks like he could be a young Harrison Ford. You know, just the shape of his face and everything like that. It was really, you know, it helped by the acting, you know, him trying to imitate him. Well, the, the thing that, that uh, I thought was kind of amusing about it was Hollywood Reporter wondered if this dismal box office, in other words, mm. ticket sales, well, it caused Disney to rethink these things because it only, in its opening weekend, it only hit $103 million domestically oh. and $65 million overseas in one weekend. I'm crying for them. Yeah. I mean, it's like, so really, I mean, $100 million is a bomb these days. That's, I mean, well, I know. They probably spent that much on it. I mean, yeah, I know that, that making these things are expensive, but. 
come on. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember when, you know, a hundred million dollar box office was the definition of a smash hit. You know, the, the movie gro- gross things, you know, that these, how much money a movie makes, you know, the opening weekend and the opening week, it's becoming like the stock market, you know, where you've got these expectations, you know, when they have the quarterly reports and the, the expectation on Wall Street is they'll make this much profit. You have to hit and, your numbers. And, and, yeah. they, and if they just fall slightly under, you know, it could be like a record quarter, you know, made more money than most countries have and <laughs> all that. But if it just fell like 1% under, the stock goes down. And it's kind of the same thing with, you know, these movies. It's like if it was an indie movie that cost, you know, a, less than a million dollars to make and it's a big hit. Uh, you know, everybody's talking about it. And if it's a $100 million, you know, blockbuster, you know, summer movie, and it only makes, you know, 120 in the opening weekend, then it's considered a flop. And the the funny thing is those two worlds cross over because like right now, Disney is trying to acquire the assets of 20th Century Fox, the, uh, you know, movie and TV shows and stuff. And there's, I think, going to be a fight over that uh, with Comcast um and uh the you know release of solo a big film will affect disney stock price which makes it harder for them to have enough money to compete right so it all it all boils down to like you know who owns the simpsons uh because that's one of the properties owned by 20th century fox that uh will change hands from fox to either disney or comcast um yeah it's weird it's all about money and stuff so gary thumbs up or thumbs down on solo uh yeah a, a, a general thumbs up it's not hmm. gonna be a masterpiece it, it didn't sound like really a big endorsement but no you didn't yeah it was not enthusiastic no i give it i give it like three and a half stars yeah. you know it's fun worth seeing you will not uh be bored seeing it and you'll come out with a smile on your face but you're not going to go and it's not going to change your life in the way that you know hmm. sometimes movies can so um, so yeah, yeah. But you know, the thing to remember is I'm a sci-fi geek and I love sci-fi and, uh, I am, uh, but I do not consider Star Wars to be sci-fi. No, sci-fi is fantasy. I mean, sorry, it, Star Wars is, is fantasy. Fa- it, it is, it not, is fantasy yeah. and it's a fairy tale Yeah, and it's not meant to be taken literally. Like when we see most movies, it's meant to be like, there's a camera showing you what was actually happening? Like the camera was hidden somewhere and you're seeing the people do the things that they did. Mm-hmm. Star Wars you're, is the same thing when you're hearing a story about something that happened in a galaxy far, far away, a long time ago and all that. And it doesn't always make sense because the story has been retold so many times and mm-hmm. these are the characters that have come through over the generations and this is what happened and they're all heroes or villains and all that. And it's great. I love Star Wars. I'm definitely a Star Wars guy, not a Star Trek guy, but tell you any time that star trek is pure sci-fi and star wars is really not sci-fi at all yeah. peace and i've been using our our, our movie pass that i, I mentioned a, oh yeah a few weeks ago um they haven't gotten out of business yet um uh, most recently we saw a deadpool 2 and uh i want next i want to see uh, rgb because uh, I, I love movies about color spaces <laughs> uh, um <sighs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but the enjoy the movie pass. But they seem to be they haven't, like I said, they haven't gone out of business yet. But they seem to be like tightening restrictions, uh, trying to uh, they they say to to eliminate to to reduce fraud. First, they made it so um, 
that you can't see the same movie more than once. So when I originally got it, if you wanted to keep going back to see a movie day after day, you could, but then they select, well, once is enough. And then this last week, they added a new restriction where after you buy your ticket, you, know, you tell them on the app that I'm going to see the, whatever, the 10 a.m. showing of Deadpool 2 at this theater. And after you buy your ticket, you are need to send in a photograph of your ticket stub using the app. Huh. And uh, I, I think they... Or, or else later the app will start, stop working? If you, if you don't do it twice, they will eliminate your... They'll shut off your movie pass. So, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Um, yeah what, I, mean, I don't know. My assumption is, is that some people who have a movie pass are standing outside the theater and, you know, once a day and, and selling a ticket for $5 or 10 or whatever is less than, you know, and, mm. and, just, and, and letting people in with, with the movie pass, um, you know, which is probably not what the company intended. No, That's, but you could still take a picture of it before you sell it. Yeah, you probably could. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I got the feeling that the movie theater companies are really trying to come down on them, and maybe they're just trying to they figure well if we can just keep people from hitting a certain threshold, you know, stay stay uh, if we get too profitable they'll shut us down, uh, and if we just stay at a certain level I don't know maybe yeah I don't know. I don't think the the uh, theaters have a problem with movie pass um, they get paid full price so yeah. And it probably is bringing more people out. Yeah. I've heard that there's some theaters that like, especially in Los Angeles and stuff that have a separate movie pass line and there'll be like 30 or 40 people in the movie pass line. And, but if you're just paying traditionally, there's oh. like a, you know, no, no line or you just walk right up to the cashier. Huh? Do you guys, uh, well, you don't do it, Kevin, cause you're doing the movie pass thing. But I mean, I, I'm addicted to the, you know, buying the ticket with a seat number. Um, oh, I love that online. Yeah. I, I absolutely love it. And you know, I didn't, I never bought tickets in advance with any apps before you could have assigned seats. I was always like, a do- you know, it's a dollar more. Mm-hmm. I'd rather go early and you know, whatever. But, but as soon as it's like, Oh, now $3 more and I get to pick my seat. I'm in every time. Right. Well, those seats tend to be nicer too at those theaters. Yes. It's not just like a lawn chair. It's, it's one of those reclining, <laughs> reclining ones that, you know, you can stretch your feet out and those, you know, if you're picking a seat, it's probably a nice seat. Usually. Right. Yeah. And i like the idea of knowing where I'm sitting and not having to be in a situation where, you know, I paid for a ticket. Now I have to sit in the back corner or front row or something. Um, and, uh, you know, and then having it on my phone and just getting the phone, I always like doing stuff like that. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's much better. And, and I'm always, I, I there's part of me that's always like, looking for the the little bit of the fight. <laughs> like if I get to the movie and mm. somebody's in my seat. Uh, oh, yeah. oh yeah. I don't know what it is. It's just kind of this, this thing This you know, you're, you're about to turn the corner to where you can see the seats in the movie theater. And you're like, all right, I'm, you know, this row and right in the middle. And I turn and I'm like, Oh, okay. My seat's empty. But if there's somebody in there, I'd be like, Oh, okay. Now it's on. <laughs> now I, let's see if this person gives me any trouble. Um, and, uh, I've never really run into that, but, but I don't know. Just, uh, I've, I definitely do see people, uh, we sit down and then all these seats are assigned and then there's people that sit down and then people come in and then have to kick people out of their seat. Mm -hmm. They always look confused. The people, Oh, this is what, you know? And they're like, Oh, come on. You got assigned a seat number when you bought it. 
don't act like you don't know what's going on. You just, just you didn't want to sit in the back like right. Yeah, it is. It's people yeah. have never been to a concert before with assigned seating or something. It's a, yeah, it's not a unfamiliar concept. People. Yeah, of course that happened. I see that happen on airplanes still. <laughs> you know, pretty much once a flight, there's somebody that gets on, and then there's a little like, and the person's always looking at their ticket, and they have to call over the attendant. You know, the flight attendant. And it's like, well, what do you think the flight attendant's going to say? Your seat? It's not. That's not your seat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're in cattle class, not first class. Oh, yeah. So, anyway, what else has gone on? What other stories we have this week? Um, I saw an interesting one about um, a uh, uh, in Britain or in London. It was the city of London. They had a payment system set up for street performers, um, and this is becoming like a common issue. Where the, uh, you know, where the ca- cash is going away and it's being replaced by either using cards, you know, credit cards or bank cards or, you know, your phone. Hmm. And um, so the problem is what happens in industries where cash is pretty much it, like, you know, leaving. Like buskers. Dollars. Yeah, like buskers. So uh, London, of course, has street performers all over the place, like a lot of big international cities do and they have set up a system an endorsed system where they can have these little machines um and people can pay with cards and phones Hmm. uh for the street performers um and it kind of helps i guess they're regulated in some way anyway there but um you know they're testing it out with a few now and those that are using them are reporting higher earnings because you know i know for me i don't carry much cash around and especially if you're in an international place where it's not that currency you're used to um sometimes you just don't have the right currency with you you know you you haven't gotten cash from an atm yet or you've used all your atm cash and you're you know leaving on a plane tomorrow morning and you don't feel like getting a whole bunch out just to pay for you know a euro or a pound or whatever right so but it does bring out you know some interesting questions is there there's a lot of instances as we move to kind of a cashless society of where um you know, how are people doing certain things going to get their their tips and their coins and their all that stuff? Um, yeah, so. and Sweden is pushing really hard to become a cashless country. Yeah. I mean, they, they really want to get rid of it completely. Yeah, and a lot of people, you know, there's people like me who are trying to not to use cash at all, hardly. Um, and there's people that, of course, still use cash for lots of things and try to use it primarily. Um, I'm actually, the funny thing is I'm reading a, a large book series now called the Baroque cycle by Neil Stevenson. And part of it deals with, uh, right around the era where coins were going away and being re- replaced by banknotes and, what? and bills and things. Doesn't make sense. You can't use cash if you're Baroque. You're Baroque. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh boy. Uh, but anyway, there were some of the same, some of the same things people were saying then around 1690 and such. Uh, about getting rid of coins. Because back then, coins were actually worth, you know, you had a gold coin that was worth a certain amount of gold, and whether it was minted uh, in, you know, France or in Spain, it had the same amount of gold in it. So you could, you kind of had this, you know, currency exchange of one gold coin was the same as another gold coin. And then bills would be, you know, specific and be backed by a bank that 
or a, or a state or by land ownership and other things. So people were very feeling very uh, like, oh, I, I don't want to change that, you know, that kind of thing back then. And now here we are. I'm not going to use paper. Yeah. Now here we are 300 some years later and we're in the midst of another transition where, um, you know, there's people like me that I enjoy not having any cash and not having to manage, you know, like, oh, how much, how much is in my pocket? And but you're going to make robbers point? really mad. And yeah, yeah, really. And, and and there's some debate about like you find you spend more or less. Like I used to find that when I was finishing using cash, that if I had cash in my pocket and I was out doing something, I was more likely to spend it and go through it until I was done with all the cash. And now I had to break out the card and pay for something. And then I was a little more restrained and had a tighter budget. And you know, I kind of feel the same way now. It's like if some reason I have. 20 bucks in my pocket. You got to spend it. And I, and I did have 20 bucks in my pocket recently. (laughs) I felt (laughs) like spending it almost immediately. Um, And, uh, and I'm laughing because it was Kevin that gave me the 20 bucks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, this is going to freak you out. I've had a hundred dollar bill in my pocket for about three weeks. Yeah. And you know, it's, I'm not, it's not burning a hole in my pocket, but it's, you know, the idea is that I can, you know, I'm, wanting to spend it somewhere so I can break it up and have some small change. Yeah. But you know, I, I just don't spend that much cash. hundred dollar bills are a pain. We've, we've had, we used to go to this particular ATM and, and we'd, we'd get $200 because I wanted how many, what, 10 twenties. Right. And, but the, this particular ATM would give me a hundred dollar bill and five twenties. Like, I don't want that. You've, you've cre- given me another problem. ATM. <laughs> yeah. A hundred dollar bill is a, is just an issue. And so we started just like requesting $180 every week instead of 200 and, and then we get all twenties for some reason. Yeah. Well, I'm surprised that like the 50 and hundred dollar bills aren't more in circulation now because I mean, I definitely have, you know, noticed prices going up for things like meals and, mm. you know, um, stuff and have twenties still be like so generally accepted yeah. everywhere. But 50s and 100s still are suspicious, you know. Well, they just draw it up with a pen that doesn't actually yeah. do anything, and you know, <laughs> and then they take it. I've never had a problem with it. Yeah, I usually t- I like to try to take a, a, a you know a, a hundred dollar bill or two with me when I travel internationally, because internationally you can get in a situation where an ATM doesn't work with your system or. Or some such, or it's just locked down because you're foreign. Yeah, it's something like that. And you know, American hundred dollar bills are actually, uh, you know, good worldwide currency, especially for emergencies. You know, it's like I don't, I don't try to just pay for normal stuff with them, but I always feel like it's for bribes. Well, yeah, <laughs> I could bribe my way onto something. No, but uh, you know, if I needed a place to stay or I needed a meal and not, and none of my money sources were working. You know, I, I figure I could always find something to eat or somewhere to stay if I have a $100 bill for as a fallback, you know, an emergency fallback. Um, but I have the opposite problem with you, Kevin. It's like I can never get anything but 20s out of ATM. So to get my $100 bills for travel, I always have to go to the bank and uh, ask for like two $100 bills. Right. <laughs> Which they probably find annoying because there's probably people asking for $100 bills are usually asking for a hell of a lot more. Or something, and then uh, some guy's saying, "I want two hundred dollars in hundreds." It's like, yeah, what's this guy about? 
But what else we got going on? Guys, have anything interesting coming up this week? I've been. Uh, I spent my weekend um, making my Atari computer talk to a laserdisc player, and uh, writing a program to to do that. And I thought that was interesting. And then I was just like, hmm, laserdisc old technology. I wonder if I could make it talk to a uh, a DVD player. And I started researching industrial DVD players with serial control. And it turns out there are a few. And one of them, in fact, the one that I have ordered, uh, was made by Pioneer, which, who, which is the same company that makes the Laserdisc player. And it uh, turns out that they didn't change very, very smartly and like just so rarely for a company to do something this smart. They didn't change the protocol, uh, the communication protocol from talking to the DVD player versus the Laserdisc player. So I should be able to use the same software without changing much of anything. What's um, the goal? Uh, the goal is, uh, oh, it's, it's to run so, a DVD player from a Atari. So, so super nerdy. It's like, what if you could take a, a, a DVD and make a game out of it? Maybe a, a, a slow moving, you know, text adventure game that shows scenes from a movie or something. You know, here we are just, I don't know, pick any movie, pick Star Wars or something. It's just like, you know, you're on the ice planet Hoth, you know, and it can show a scene and you could, you know, go north and you get eaten by a giant worm or whatever happens in those movies. I don't know. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm doing stuff with, uh, with uh, informational kiosk videos, um, you know, that are meant to be used in, in stores and uh, might write some games or something just to see, just to see if it can be done. It is pretty nerdy. Yeah. Told you. Mm. Cool. Anyway, so that's, that's what I'm going to continue working on this, this week. Cool. How about you, Randy? Not much. Just uh, continuing to continue on. And, um, was gleeful that uh, my wife is finally back from Spain. So uh, nursing her back to health, she actually got yeah. sick toward the end of her 500-mile walk across the northern Spain on the Camino. And, mm-hmm. and uh, all in all, just life is going on. Yeah. Yeah, I've got another app coming out this week. Uh, oh, of course you do. Launching another out. week. I have been, uh, well, this will be my fifth one this year. So I'm on a pace of about one a month. Um, just working really hard on uh, in producing apps. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I'm going to have at least, at least this this one before the summer and then see if I, if I have any other ideas for apps I'll dig right into. So anyway, I'll be announcing that. Uh, my MacMos newsletter on Thursday, most likely. Uh, and, uh, and you'll probably talk about it next yeah, week ne- in the podcast. Next week, yep. So, cool. Well, that probably wraps it up for this week, I think. All right. Yeah, cool. Well, the show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh26. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at the TEH Podcast. Thanks for listening. Seriously, people, would it kill you to leave a review on iTunes? Seriously? Really? (laughs) We we have like six. We'd so appreciate it. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Bye.